Welcome to the Elk Talk Podcast with Randy Newberg and Corey Jacobson. Presented by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. The goal is what little you and I know about elk hunting, we share with people. I've got an elk building, it's like 120 yards away. What do I do? First off, the thought would never cross my mind when an elk being 120 yards away to call anybody on a cell phone. <laughs> All elk. All the time. Only elk. Only elk. Well, it's us having conversations. So we usually go down some rabbit holes. But if you hunt with Corey Jacobson, you will find the landscape is full of rabbit holes. We're just going to make this up as we go. And you look at it like, oh, that's a target-rich environment. But if you're trying to single one out, a solo target there is much easier to go into than a, a big group. Well, we record everything, so there's no BS and no lying, no faking it with us. <laughs> Did we hit the record I button? I forgot to hit the record <laughs> button. If you want to know something about elk hunting, this probably isn't a podcast to listen to. <laughs> Should we give them a list of all the other podcasts well. where they might learn something? <laughs> The Elk Talk Podcast is brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, ensuring the future of elk, other wildlife, their habitat, and our hunting heritage. To become a member, go to rmef.org. The Elk Talk Podcast is also brought to you by Mountain Ops, making outdoor energy and performance nutrition to make you a stronger and healthier elk hunter. They have a full line of hunting-related supplements, including meal replacement shakes, multivitamins, pre-workout fuel, and post-workout recovery, and my favorite, their new performance protein bars that, by the way, are packed with 270 calories and 20 grams of protein, but contain less than 6 grams of sugar. Visit mountainops.com to learn more and to order, and be sure to use the promo code ELKTALK to save on your next order. The podcast is also brought to you by Gerber. Uh, go to gerbergear.com and learn about the knives, the vital, the big game vital, the Gator Premium, all the things that we use when we're out in the woods, and not just knives, but also some really cool multi-tools that they have. And we have a promo code for Gerber as well. Just use the code ELKTALK to save 20% on your orders at gerbergear.com. And we are also brought to you by Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls. And Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls is the original designer and inventor of the pallet plate diaphragm that's completely changed the way elk calls are made and used. And to find out more and to order your elk calls, go to RockyMountainHuntingCalls.com or BuglingBull.com and use promo code ELKTALK and you're going to save 15% on all of your elk calls and elk call accessories. The Elk Talk Podcast is also brought to you by GoHunt.com. Uh, go to GoHunt.com and sign up for the Insider. The Insider is changing how hunts and hunting information are found. No doubt about that. Use promo code ELKTALK, and when you do, when you sign up for the Insider, you're going to get $50 of store credit, mad money, in their gear shop. Lastly, the University of Elk Hunting online course is a proud partner of the Elk Talk podcast. And within the University of Elk Hunting online course, you're going to find nearly 60 chapters organized in 17 modules of elk hunting instruction aimed at making you a more successful elk hunter. From planning and e-scouting to calling strategies and packing 
Every imaginable elk hunting topic is included in the online course. And regardless of your previous elk hunting experience or success, I'm confident the University of Elk Hunting online course will make you a more confident, more successful elk hunter. Just visit elk101.com and use the promo code ELKTALK to save 20% when you sign up for a membership to the University of Elk Hunting online course. And with that, Corey, we are ready to get into it. Let's jump into it. Hey, Corey, how's life in Idaho? Well, it's still cold, but it's still good, so Man, no it was colder here this morning. I, I don't know what happened overnight. I went to bed, and it was, you know, in the 20s. I woke up this morning, it was 12 below zero. Yeah. What the heck's going on here? I, I'm going to have to pack up and move. <laughs> it's about the same for me. Really? You guys got it that cold over there today? Hey, Randy, I'm not getting anything on my audio line here. Is it recording it? Yeah, yeah it's recording it. Hey, Corey, it's recording. Quit. Uh, what, <laughs> see, it's so cold that the gerbil that runs your internet went into hibernation. Evidently, yeah. It, it was cold. I was the same. It was 21 when I got home from the basketball game last night. And I got up Did this you morning. Win? Of course we won. Oh, cool. Yeah. Cool. So really what I did is I put your your audio track on flatline just so you wouldn't be able to see it. Okay. Well, that that explains a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Cuz I can I can hear you, but your your video is not coming through. So if we do a, ever publish the video from this podcast, it's going to be just a blank screen that says Corey Jacobson waiting. Yeah. And then so. you in all of your glory sitting in your office on video, which yeah. I get to see it. You know, I, it was too cold here. I think my video wouldn't even come up this morning, but uh, Randy's is up. So I get to look at him. He's looking at a blank screen. So I'm talking to a person. He's talking to a wall. So if I look, if I sound more engaged in a conversation than Randy does, that would explain why. Yeah. Well, you got to leave in a little over an hour, so we got to get right to it here. No storytelling about my wife blowing snow with a broken leg and all that kind of stuff what? anymore. Yeah, That's the so best we, part of the podcast. I know. Actually, someone who listens to the podcast from Idaho said, your wife deserves a puppy. Because he heard me talking about we're without a dog. He emailed me this morning. I got to get back. I mean, he wants to give my wife a little lap dog. Wow. Yeah. Great guy. So I guess I won't say anything bad about lap dogs right now. <laughs> uh, can we talk say, about... <laughs> I was going to say, you can probably only give those things away, can't you? Ah, uh, no. no I, I, think like, I think they're like 4000 bucks a piece. I was going to say, those lap dogs are expensive. Yeah. That's the cheap part. Just wait till you get the vet, vet bill and all the designer dog food. And, oh, man. and a designer know. purse to carry it around in. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Got to have that. Yeah. So uh, I'd, I'd rather carry my wife's purse around town than to carry a little pink bag with a little fluffy dog stuffed in it. It's oh, like, honey, goodness. are you really going to do this? You're going to make me carry this dog around like this. <laughs> Anyhow, my man card is gone that day. Uh, anyhow i said we weren't going to do that because we're going to talk about a lot of things we're going to talk about arizona we're going to talk about some of the emails and comments we got from from the audience uh we're going to talk about some people being mad at utah oh, I uh, you were 
mad at me. You said you. No, no. Here's what we should do. We should uh, categorize all the emails that we get and put them in the like Corey hates Randy pile. And (laughs) those two would be about the same. Now, if we had the like Corey likes Randy pile, it'd look like. Yeah, it'd be very disproportionate. So, no, have, have you read uh, the comments on the Destination Elk episodes that, that have launched so far? Yeah, some of they them. They are 100% positive, and they love Team Fresh Tracks. So whether oh, it's good. you or Michael, they, the, they like one of you enough to outweigh any disdain they might have towards the other one because there's nothing, <laughs> nothing negative being said. Then they all like Michael is what uh, I can say. Well. But, but uh, you know... The, the the whole grouse stuff, you know, I I I got to look and see. I, I didn't watch the most recent episode. Have, have you let the the grouse out of the bag yet? Not have you got yet. To all of it? No, okay. you're, you're still out in the in the open grasslands oh. chasing big herds of elk. Yeah, and haven't found a grouse yet, which is grounds for why I would think about pulling up and moving. And I, li- I lied. I lied to the camera crew. Like, oh, I don't think we'll ever catch up to these elk. Well, really, what it is, uh, it's not that. <laughs> there aren't any grouse out here. Hell with this herd of two hundred elk. <laughs> I lied to them. I said, oh, the elk just—they—they they went into the other unit. We got to go. You, you like, couldn't catch I didn't up. Stop. You couldn't catch up with the, with an elk if it was tied to a tree. No. And the reason why is you would start going that direction, then you get pulled off by a grouse. You would never make it to that elk. If he was bugling, yeah. raking mm-hmm. the tree, tied to the tree, standing on one leg, couldn't go anywhere, you would still not get a shot at that elk because there might be a grouse somewhere in the vicinity and you would go looking for that grouse. Well, my, my proudest moment of Destination Elk Season 4 is... The way we we put it to the grouse, like, oh, man. Anyway, and then I, I had some doubters in camp. And when you see me cook this grouse for them with Kim Newberg's world, no, not world famous, world's best but unknown grouse seasoning, you guys, the, the, the audience is going to be like, when's Newberg starting his own grouse season business? Why am I always the last to find out about things? You, well, I, I, I didn't even, I still don't have a Peaks headlamp. Uh-huh. Now you're telling me I've hunted with you. I've shot grouse with you. Mm-hmm. I never knew there was a world's best and unknown seasoning for grouse. There now is. you just shared it with the entire audience of Elk Talk podcast at the same yep. time I find out. Why, why am I always last to know things? Because you're the guy who put a 12-pound rock in my pack in New Mexico and didn't tell me about it till that oh, night. Oh, man. So. There you go. I forgot all about that. I don't and deserve. You're, you're to know. also the you are also the guy who gave me the stink eye one day when I was stopping in Montana as we were chasing a bull that was bugling, and you and Lauren and me are running up the hill. You're running, I'm puffing up the hill, and there's a grouse, and I go on a little detour, and you're like, "Where's Randy? Where's Randy?" So I'm like, back with him. I'm not sharing my world's best grouse seasoning. We'll just use salt and pepper and flour. That's good enough. And it is good. But, it was so. good. Yeah. Anyhow, sorry. But I'm sure the, audi- the audience is like, do these guys ever get around and giving any elk advice? <laughs> In a roundabout yeah. way. 
in a roundabout way. That's all on your shoulders. So the, I, I'm an accountant, so I deal with deadlines, okay? I'm going to tell everybody right now before we forget that the deadline for Arizona elk applications is February, L, February 8th, 2022 at 11.59 p.m. Arizona time. So don't miss that deadline. And is Got that it? to uh, purchase a point as well as apply? Yes. So thank you. For don't don't mess up. And you, you, as sure as the sun is going to rise in the east tomorrow, Arizona's system is going to crash the morning of the eighth. Absolutely, it happens every year. Last summer it didn't in the deer and and sheep draw, but. If I'm if Vegas would let me put money on whether or not Arizona has a technology malfunction the last day of their application, I'm going down to Vegas and putting a big wad of cash on that. <laughs> so don't don't be that person, right? So this podcast probably isn't going to drop until the day before. So. Yeah. So when when this oh. podcast drops, if you have not applied for Arizona or bought your point there for this year, and you're planning on doing it. You've already procrastinated. Yeah. So th- this is final call. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I apologize, Corey, that I've been behind the eight ball, but we have elk politics going on here in Montana right now, like I've not seen in 30 years. That, really? Uh, we are, what's in front of the hunters of Montana is a fundamental change of elk tag allocation elk seasons elk management like nothing i've ever seen so all of you who are thinking about applying in montana this year wait to see what the montana fish wildlife and parks commission votes to do this friday but in the interim it's it's been rather draining on my time but oh well that's how it goes you know I uh, I didn't move to Montana to make tons of money. I moved here for the elk hunting. So this always catches legislators off guard or policymakers. They're like, why are you so worked up about this? You only pay 20 bucks for an elk tag. Well, if I would have stayed at that big national CPA firm and been a partner there, I'd be making about $2 million a year right now. And I'm not making a tenth of that. So you want to know how much my resident elk tag cost me? So, and then they're like, ooh, never thought about that. So, you know, I'm sure this, I bet you the same applies in Idaho, right? It's not like anyone moves to Donnelly, Idaho to make tons of money. No. Right? No, in fact, there's there's not I mean, much of an economy here, and and the cost of living is super high. So we, uh, yeah, yeah. There's there's sacrifices that have to be made to live where you want to live. Yeah. And so when you, Mister Politician, or you, out of state billionaire, use your tools of leverage and power. Don't think that guys like me and all the other folks who could leave Montana to make lots of money, but we stay here and forego all that because of the good hunting, don't be surprised when we show up and we're a little bit hot under the collar here. Yeah. So that's that's part of why this podcast is being done today instead of three days ago. Sorry about that. No, no worries on my part. So, but yeah, it's, uh, I, I know yeah, when, I'm, I, Idaho, I've got, when Idaho goes through it and we have the bonus point proposal and there, there's some minor ones this year, um, it is an energy drain when you have to spend all your time and energy to put statistics together, 
and then present it and try to get people on board to, you know, there, there's 99% of the people agree with you, but only about 1% of them will actually take the time to send in their voice and make it heard. And so it's, uh, it takes yeah. energy. Yeah. But the good news is in all of my platforms, I've been providing the email addresses for the, the seven fish, wildlife and parks commissioners. Yep. And one of them called me yesterday and said, Randy, do you know how many emails we are getting? I'm like, ooh, <laughs> <laughs> good. Uh, and this this commissioner was, I mean, has taken time to to meet and talk with so many people. Uh, I'm I'm very impressed with that person. That's uh, great. And uh, so, whether where the vote will end up, I don't know. But uh, the first proposal, are you ready for this, Corey? Yeah. Did I tell you what the first proposal mm, was? No, nope, I haven't heard. I, I know there's uh, a bunch unli- going on. Unlimited. <laughs> Yeah, unlimited bull tags if you're hunting on private land and cut the quota for public land hunters in half. Huh. It's like it, it almost and, seems like there's a special interest involved in <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So I I told some people and I'm I'm getting ready to do my Hunt Talk radio podcast next week based on how this vote happens. I'm like, sounds to me like I could become the governor of Montana if I ran on a campaign slogan, Bulls for Billionaires. <laughs> and uh <laughs> you know, it's Whoa. like really? This is this this is Somebody thought that was a good idea to put in black and white all you billionaires who are complaining that you have to stand in line and draw a tag with the peasants, you know, the rest of us lowly, you know, what, what was it, basket of deplorables? <laughs> uh, you, you don't want to stand in line with that, so we're going to give you guys unlimited tags. And oh, all of us standing in that long line, the line the line's going to move a lot slower because we're going to give away half as many. Wow. Like, somebody thought that was a good idea. So, and, and it was all in, and it was all sold as a way to reduce elk numbers to kill more cow elk. Hmm. Some, <laughs> I, I missed the logic along the way. So someone sent me back to, uh, you know, population management 101. I, uh, I did not know that letting private land hunters kill all the bulls is a way to get rid of the cows. Wow. Well, it, <laughs> it definitely, even, it definitely yeah. solves the problem. The, the problem of them uh, needing to please their wealthy landowner mm-hmm. friends. And that's... That's about the only problem yeah. I think I can see so, it working. Yeah. So to his credit, the director of Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks came on my podcast, uh, and I released it this week. And uh, I gave him a chance to explain all this. You know, how did where did everything come from? And it's a very interesting conversation. Uh, he talks about the frustration these out-of-state billionaires have when they buy these ranches, and then they find out they don't come with tags. You know, that they got to stand in line with the other non-residents. And I said, you know, maybe he ought to take that up to with his realtor and say, who's your errors in omission insurance company? Because you forgot to tell me this or you lied to me about it or something. I don't know. That's not my problem. You know, I, I don't think that we're going to have the Wall Street billionaire sympathy fund anytime soon funded or, or worried about by Montana resident hunters. <laughs> yeah. You know, 
And so I'm talking about this right now because, quite honestly, Corey, these kind of things unfold in every state. They pop up and this stuff happens. And it's like, all right, I've had enough. I've tried to work within the system. I've tried to be the well-behaved citizen. I've tried to use my media platforms to try guide hunters along the way. But I'll be honest, I'm like ready to come off the rails over just the insult of how this happened. I mean, it insults your intelligence for somebody to say, oh, our first crack at this is we're going to give unlimited tags, bull tags on private land, cut yours in half. And, oh, please believe us when we say this is all about killing more cow elk. Uh, So to his credit, when the director is on my podcast, he said, boy, if I could go back and change anything, I'd change that one. (laughs) I'm thinking to myself, uh, yeah, how did that one even get out the door? Uh, Oh, well. So they, they did that, that one that was proposed in November at their December meeting that created so much rancor that the seven commissioners told him in their working session, get rid of that. Come give us something new. This, this is, this is dead, dead in the water. So that night over the course of 10 hours, the department comes up with a whole new series of regulations. So the ones I'd spent working on for a year got junked, and 10 hours later, we get a new set. Wow. That are, yeah, they're just like a, you know, a turd with a different kind of polish on it is about (laughs) what we got. I thought you were (laughs) going to say a a turd with a different kind of politician on it. (laughs) (laughs) So, I, I mean, right now at every coffee shop, Every lunch break, water cooler, after-dinner beer session that's in Montana right now, hunters are talking about this. Like, what is going on here? So, uh, we'll see. You know, we only got to wait a few more days to find out what the vote's going to be. Yeah. But if you're a non-resident who applies in Montana, I would wait and see what that is and learn it in full detail before you lay all your chips down on your Montana application. Yeah, no kidding. Huh. Yeah. You know, and it's in Idaho, we've got, we had uh, somebody a couple of years ago that tried, you know, it was a a sportsman and he tried Mm -hmm. to convince the commission to legalize lighted knocks and mechanical broadheads, which are not legal Mm -hmm. in in the state of Idaho. And it went through the proper channels and everything and ended up not making it, uh, not making it through. Well, that same person messaged me and said, Hey, this is on the table again, but it's being introduced by a legislator and we need to get the word out to deny this. You know, the very person who who tried to get it to go through the proper channels recognizes mm-hmm. the danger of having the legislature create uh, elk hunting or hunting regulations in the states and recognizes, yeah. hey, this needs to be killed. It needs to go through the proper channels, not be introduced straight from a, a legislator to the legislature for them to vote on and create a a requirement that the commission has to then enforce. So kudos to, huh. to him for doing right. that, but it's, we're seeing it in every state that we're trying to go around the processes that are there 
to ensure that sportsmen's voices are heard, that science and biology is what's used to manage big game animals rather than somebody that's got a rich buddy with a bunch of land that they want to allow them to have all the elk tags they want or, you know, whatever it is. It just, it, it's not the right way to be running fishing game departments and that's not how they're set up to be ran. Yeah. And so for the audience wondering why we're talking about this, Corey and I often talk amongst ourselves of how much do we want to drag the content into the ditch of policy and what becomes politics and how much do we want to just stick to information and stuff and occasionally we we just feel there's we we, we're doing a disservice to the audience if we don't bring it up and tell them some of these things and tell them how they can make a difference and remind them that you know screaming and yelling and ranting on facebook isn't activism it isn't advocacy that's that doesn't get the job done. Emailing your commissioners, calling your legislator or whatever, that will get the hopefully get the job done. That's that's true involvement. So sorry folks if we drug you down in the ditch on this one, but uh there's a lot going on. Um did you see did you ever listen to the Wyoming is has a wildlife task force in place right now? And they're talking about possibly changing their resident, non-resident license policy. Uh, and they're right now, non-residents get 16% of the limited entry elk tags in Wyoming. Uh, I'm not saying this is happening, so I, I'm almost a little bit uh, hesitant to throw it out there. But uh, when these things happen, when, when all these discussions and these committees and councils are throwing things out there everybody who has a personal benefit isn't afraid to throw it out and and do it and there's a proposal that some have kicked around of well maybe we should go 90 percent resident which i think most people would have a hard time arguing against that because most states are 90 10 but one of the proposals that had been given some some I guess, oxygen to the fire, was that of the remaining 10%, half of it, you'd have to use a Wyoming outfitter. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on here. You know, I'm I'm all about a state and its residents deciding what the allocation should be for non-residents, but I'm not about... letting the, you know, a certain class of, of businesses take that remaining wildlife resource and say, you know, what do we say we turn this into our own money train here? So uh, I don't know if that one's going to come out of that committee with any, any teeth to it or any possibility, but uh, you got to be keeping an eye on this stuff folks yeah. and, and it's usually you're, you're slipped, the in at the, slipped in at the last minute and you know wyoming just for those that might not know or not, might not remember but wyoming you're required to have a an outfitter or a guide if you want to hunt in desert federal designated yep. wilderness area yep and that's uh, you know we've yeah. talked about that as being you know, a, a welfare program for outfitters that mm-hmm. guarantees that so many people, if they want to hunt that geographic area, they have to to hire an outfitter. And now, you know, you mentioned they're bringing up a, a proposal to possibly take half of the available tags for non-residents and also requiring you to have an outfitter. And once again, 
Sounds like a special interest group has their hands in uh, <laughs> setting policy, which shouldn't happen. Yeah. Right. We, we should leave that to our departments. Uh, but most of this stuff, unfortunately, gets pulled into legislatures. I mean, Montana's legislature is completely out of hand with thinking they know what's best for wildlife. I, I was given a presentation a few years ago to some Montana State University wildlife students here, and I don't know if the professor found any humor in my statement but i said you know all of you i think these were there were quite a few master students in there i said all you trying to go on to advanced degrees in wildlife management you're going about it all wrong just get elected to the montana legislature and you can say that you've got a phd in wildlife management (laughs) Uh, it's like uh, really come on i mean oh well so Wow. You want to know another really? This has nothing to do with. Well, it kind of does with elk hunting. So, <laughs> if you watch sixty minutes, sixty minutes on Sunday night, there was a big piece on wolves in Yellowstone, huh. and I was the hunter that they interviewed in that. Uh, we did it. It first rolled out three years ago, and then they put it out last year. And then, obviously, because there's a controversy going on about how many wolves left Yellowstone this year, and and a lot of them got shot in Montana. I'm getting all kinds of phone calls and emails from East Coast news sources. Uh, But if if you want to wake up Monday morning to a lot of interesting emails that have a lot of very vulgar language in them, (laughs) just be on 60 Minutes and say, you know what? Wolves are wolves. They don't solve all the world's problems. They aren't the the world's worst enemy, and they don't have rainbows shooting out their ass. (laughs) I tell you what. You didn't even say shoot, <laughs> shovel, and shut up or kill them all or anything. No, Man. no. I said, you know, they're just wolves. They're not they're they're not gonna solve world hunger and you know, mid-east peace and everything because it you know and I stole that statement from a friend of mine, uh Arthur Middleton. Uh Arthur, I it's in print, so it can be attributed to him. But I say it all the time now about wolves. You know, everyone thinks they're the world's greatest things. Well, I got news for you. They don't have rainbows shooting out their ass. So the, the folks on 60 Minutes, they asked me that question or a question so that they'd get that statement from me. They'd ask it multiple times. And if you've ever, it's interesting to see how uh, a show like that is put together. Uh, Rome, the, the producer, uh, and Sarah, great people. Uh, but they interview you for two hours, and they use like a minute and a half of it. Yeah, and they 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 have you say things in all kinds of different ways. And so, point of all that was, uh, yeah, my emails this week have been. My wife handles a lot of my emails. She's like, "What did you do? That got, <laughs> the world is so mad at you today." I'm like, "Well, you just gotta tell the world that you hunt wolves and." <clears throat> And they, you know, they don't have rainbows. Uh, she, she just looks at me like you and your big mouth, man. So, again, that had that had nothing to do with elk hunting. How did I get on that? I'm not sure. So, wolves, wolves kind of have a little to do with elk hunting, but yeah, yeah, they do. Uh, so, Arizona, 
get your are you applying in Arizona or are you just buying a point this year? <laughs> well, I've been on the phone with you since I was reminded so kindly by the co-host of this podcast that the deadline's coming up. I jumped on and I bought my bonus point while we've been sitting here talking. So <laughs> I heard all this wicked noise. Duh, there I you had go. To. Otherwise I would have forgot. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's because you're a busy guy coaching basketball and all the other things. So we got a lot um, going on for the but, next four weeks here. So I got it. I got it done. I'm in. Yeah. I bought a point. Uh, the season dates this year are too early for me to get excited about spending all of my points. So uh, I'm just buying a mm-hmm. point this year and not actually applying for a hunt. Yeah. So you want me to really discourage the audience? <laughs> uh, about applying in certain places. Remember last year we did the podcast about point creep? Yeah. And we said how many years worth of applicants uh, Utah had in its system. Yep. And I told everybody that Utah had 120 years of applicants in their system. Yeah. Well, in the last two years, that's jumped from 121 years worth of applicants to 134 years worth of applicants in their system. In the last two years. In the last two years. So we gained five years so. and two years. That's like perpetual energy almost, isn't it? I mean, we've, if, we, <laughs> if we can find a way. You can figure that out. Yeah, if we can find a way oh. to take point creep and apply the same model to other areas, it, it could be a positive thing. There you go. So I... Utah, you can determine how many people just bought points and how many actually applied. And I keep trying to find that data. I'm sure if I asked Arizona for it, I could find it. Uh, Because in Arizona, now that 20% of the tags go to the people with the highest point holders, every year, that number of points it takes to get a tag in that, you know, we'll call it preference draw or whatever the first part of the draw keeps jumping and jumping and jumping what it tells me much like utah there's a ton of people in arizona that are just buying points yeah and i can't tell you if they're residents or non-residents but there's a bunch of them over there and now you're one of those point buyers yep absolutely you, and you, you know you, you are you, Corey Jacobson is not even going to show up in the draw results for 2022 because all they did was buy a point. Yep. Well, that and I invested $175 into the state of Arizona. <laughs> yeah, to, to do so. Yeah. yeah, you made a contribution. But so next year, if you jump in with whatever point level you have, folks are going to say. Well, 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 how did this happen? I, I thought I was going to get a tag at 12 points. Corey jumps in with 14 and takes the tag. You're a point creep when you do that. I'm a creep? Did, oh, did you I'm just call me a, a creep? creep. <laughs> I, I did. I called you a point creep. Oh, man. Huh. And and all you did was buy a point, and I called you a point creep. I know, man. Well, I've got I have fifteen points but, currently. Uh, with my purchase mm-hmm. today, that'll give me sixteen, and I'm just at a point mm-hmm. where I've got enough points that I don't want to spend them on a year when the season is too early. I've hunted Arizona twice uh, for myself. I've mm-hmm. been there on a, a couple other hunts with people, and to be able, I mean, if you're Okay, sitting on water and stuff early is great, but if you're wanting to to get into the 
antique rut, calling action, the big bulls screaming their heads off, uh, realistically, you're wanting to wait until the 18th or 20th before that, that really kicks in in September. So with it ending so early this year, uh, I don't want to just go to Arizona. I want to experience the, the rut like I've been able to a couple times down there. So I am, mm-hmm. uh, I'm just, I'm a creep this year. And uh, next year, I'm going to jump in with 16 points and possibly draw a tag that doesn't take 16 points to draw. There you go. So my analysis of Utah and Colorado for this purpose wasn't so much about point creep, but about showing how having a bigger pie, building, you know, putting more elk on the mountain can lessen this point creep thing whatever you want to call it. So from 2000, what is it? Uh, It's been pretty static. Uh, 2018, Utah issued 269 non-resident tags. So three years later in 2021, they issued 279 non-resident tags. So, but they went from having 113 years worth of applicants in their system to 134 years worth of applicants in their system. Colorado issued 21,741 non-resident tags, limited entry uh, tags across all weapons types. And, uh, in 2018, they had 4.3 years worth of applicants in their system. Or, or no, 6.9, I'm sorry. Well, go through the 19 draw, the 20 draw, the 2021 draw, and they give away 41 fewer tags to non-residents. But because you churn those non-residents really quick, except at that super high point level, they only have, I'd say only, they have 7.5 years worth of applicants in their system. So they've had about a uh, 9% increase between 2018 and 2021 in how many years of applicants are in their system. But they give away a lot of tags so they can churn non-residents through there. Uh, and yeah, they give away a higher percentage of their tags to non-residents. But the, per- the point being that Let's not lose focus on the fact that if we support groups and, and get involved in things to build a bigger pie, to put more elk on the mountain, it slows the rate at which creep or whatever you want to call it happens. Yep. So that to me, that's the real takeaway is the states that have the more robust elk populations and don't focus on just that high, high end age class that therefore reduces opportunity, those states can put people through the system a lot quicker yeah. than the states with very few elk or a decision that we're going to only shoot seven and a half year old elk. So, yep. Just. Interesting analysis to compare it. Um, two neighboring states with two completely different philosophies. And yeah, differences in elk numbers. But uh, I think think it's worth, worth looking at that to show the value of building a bigger pie. A, a lot of the things that frustrate us, that, that bigger pie 
helps mitigate some of that. Absolutely. Did it make any sense there? A hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When you when you have okay. a limited okay. resource, it is going to increase the demand. And if you can yeah. increase that resource, it's going to lessen the demand. And that's what we're all concerned about is, gosh, I can't get a tag here because there's so much demand. I wish that they had a better process. It's not the pro- The process is never going to improve. The, the process of lowering demand is not going to improve unless they make it so expensive that the regular hunter can't afford right. to be involved in it. I mean, the process is Which not the solution. Want. No, we need to look no. at the resource, not the process of accessing the resource. And the way you do that is, like yeah. you said, becoming involved in conservation, becoming involved in groups who support and initiate and create an increase in the resource. And once that happens, then we aren't plugged up. It's not a baby diaper stuck in the sewer line. <laughs> and uh, we're all happy. We can, uh, slide right, <laughs> we can slide right through that sewer line without uh, getting uh, so much as our hands dirty. Uh, anyone wondering where that comment come from, go listen to last week's podcast, where <laughs> I don't know why that came out of my mouth, but it did. So now, not just you, but a few other people have emailed. Randy, if, you're, uh, if your septic line is plugged up with a baby diaper, let me know. I'll tell you how to fix it. So. <laughs> Like what was I? It's just a figure of speech. Nothing literal here. Randy's septic line is not plugged up with a diaper. It's just a. It's a good visual, I think, to create. Uh, If you tell somebody, you know, you got a chunk of ice stuck in your your milkshake straw or something, it's like, oh, okay, that you know, blow it out. You tell somebody you got a diaper stuck in your sewer line, (laughs) they get the idea that hey, this is a this is a nasty problem that we've got going on here. (laughs) <laughs> that's the idea was to try to make it sound like a nasty problem. Yeah. So I, uh, I, I think we, we, we'd be, uh, not given full credit here if we, uh, didn't talk about, like you, you said, uh, joining groups. So I'm going to, I'm going to give a plug to the elk foundation here and just, here are the news releases from this month of things that they've done. Uh, they have granted 500000 to elk and hunting heritage in Pennsylvania. They granted $100,000 for research in elk areas with chronic wasting disease. Um, they, your state of Idaho received $750,000 of funding for wildlife habitat projects. Uh, they granted $180,000 to the assist with migration research, which is evolving as one of the most critical sciences we have for elk populations is identifying and conserving these migration corridors. So a lot of the, you know, a lot of people say, well, if it isn't more access, well, you know, I'm not interested. Well, I get that to some degree, but all the access in the world, if it isn't good habitat, if it doesn't have elk on it, uh, well, for elk hunters, it's not worth a whole lot. Yeah. So, but so go to rmef.org, sign up, be a member. And you mentioned they uh, they contributed funding for chronic wasting disease research. We uh, just in the mm-hmm. last few months have our first cases of chronic wasting disease right here in Idaho, about two hours north of my house. 
And it's affected wow. mule deer, white-tailed deer, and elk that have all tested positive in that area so far. Really? So it's, huh. a, it's a legitimate concern in uh, my home state now. Yeah. Well, we, we certainly have had it now for, I think we're at three, four years into it uh, here in Montana. Um, that when it first got identified. Now, the more we look for it, the more we find. Uh, imagine that, right? Yeah. So, but uh, anyhow, I just want people to know that that kind of stuff is super important to putting more elk on the mountain or building a bigger pie, as we say. So, yeah. hopefully, people are interested in, in doing that. Uh, you know, here we just have a, a Montana project if people just want to focus on access. And there's a map out on their website of where this one point whatever million acres of new and improved access RMEF and their partners have put together. But here's a small critical piece in western Montana over uh, just west of Lolo, a uh, 1,040-acre piece. They work with YT Timber, a timber company. Uh, and through RMEF, through funding that was out there they were there's a thing called the land and water conservation fund uh they added this 1040 acres but it's not always that acreage itself it's often what acreage it then gets you access to yeah so and how critical it is for elk migrations or other stuff so there's a lot of things that go into that but if you go out to their website and it's like Every week, there's a new announcement of something like that going on. So, Very hopefully, cool. people people will build a bigger pie with all you know with their effort and their money and, and yep. whatever else it is. So, I did see a, a user comment come through uh, saying mm -hmm. that they'd like to see you and I hunt in. I think the states they listed were Michigan, Minnesota. Kentucky, some, you know, some of the eastern, I'm not sure if there's actually mm -hmm. hunting seasons and all those, but it yep. does bring up the point that the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation has been central in establishing elk herds and allowing states to provide hunting opportunities in multiple states east of the Mississippi where there's never, mm -hmm. you know, been an opportunity in a long, long time to see elk or to to hunt elk so yeah, yeah it's it's again i think we've mentioned it before but that bigger piece of the pie doesn't have to be in our backyard you you right. create a valid hunting season in tennessee kentucky pennsylvania missouri uh south dakota all these places and now all these non-residents that everybody's up in arms about that are coming into their states have elk in their home states and it's going to decrease that that demand yep. and that pressure that's being put on the limited resource right now. So, you know, it might not be your backyard where the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation comes in and establishes a thousand elk for you and your two friends to go hunt. But in so doing back east and in other states, and they're just building that pie for everyone. And it, everyone benefits from that. Yeah. <clears throat> well... Hopefully, people get the message and they act on it. And uh, so, we uh, we get quite a few questions every year when it gets into application season, and people saying, 
should I just go to Colorado? You know, I come from whatever state. We just buy a tag over the counter. And um, I, this is like trying to solve nuclear physics, figuring out all these draw <laughs> systems and point systems. And uh, I, uh, I get it. I, that's why, Corey, if you ever let Idaho adopt a point system, I don't think we could be friends much longer. Oh, I will never let but, them, but I don't have, uh, I don't necessarily have the <laughs> final say in that. Oh, you're not Governor Jacobson? No, and I, I hope I never um. am. <laughs> <laughs> so we had a couple people who said or asked the question of i'm i'm so far behind the curve or i'm you know so, it's just so overwhelming it just seems like a way to get more money out of me i'm going to colorado uh and i i fully understand that frustration and that's why i think we do a lot of content around this is the fact that these point systems aren't going away and if you want to go and hunt elk in some state, if you don't have elk in your state, unfortunately, you don't have many options if you opt out of these point schemes, you know, <laughs> these Ponzi schemes or whatever you want to call them. And it's, I think, the a lot of people are looking at over-the-counter places like Colorado. And now there's talk in Colorado of, you know, how sustainable is this over-the-counter system anymore? So I throw that out there that don't think that every, that the landscape of how tags get allocated today is static and that's what it's going to look like in five years or eight years or 10 years when you've finally built up enough money, enough vacation time or whatever, where, okay, now I'm going to go start doing some elk hunting. Because if Colorado residents say, you know, we just can't sustain this amount of non-resident over-the-counter elk hunting, and they host more than anybody, that's that's something you got to be thinking about as you say, heck with all these other states. I mean, look what your state of Idaho did in response to how much non-resident pressure was getting moved to Idaho. You guys made some pretty pretty big changes. And now if you don't get on your computer on December 1st, you're not getting one of those tags in Idaho. That's a mess. Yeah. So, so don't, don't think that the systems as they are today that are in place today and the rules and the laws and the allocations are going to be that way forever. They change either slightly every year or in some cases every eight or 10 years, they change rather dramatically. Yeah. So, and it's all to appease a process. Again, the process isn't the answer. That's why these things keep changing. That's why, you know, Arizona changed, pulled the rug out from under those of us that had high bonus points. And now it's taking yeah. five to eight years longer to draw a tag than it did before they changed that. It was to appease the people who are just getting into the system and into the process late because they knew they didn't have a chance of drawing a tag for 20 years. Now it gives them at least a glimmer of hope, so they're appeased, but at the cost of those who have already invested. And like you said, I mean, over-the-counter opportunities are already 
few and far between. Used to be you could get a general tag in in Wyoming almost over the counter on a leftover basis. Same with Montana. Montana, you could buy a tag or a combo license right up almost until the the day the season started without even having to think about it. So you could fall back on that almost like it was over the counter. And you've seen Oregon. You know, Oregon's going to a draw format for the east side of the state uh, rather than being over the counter. Idaho and and Colorado are basically the only two options, viable options for over the counter, and both of them recognize that once again the uh, the resource is not keeping up with the demand. So the answer is change the process. Unfortunately, yeah. <clears throat> well, this person said they've only hunted in Colorado because they haven't really they've not locked out and drawn a tag and their frustration is certainly there with uh with these schemes in other states so they've always hunted colorado but now with the crowding there they're asking us the question uh how's the crowding in montana and wyoming uh, <laughs> it's not as bad it is not as bad as colorado so but there's also harder there's there's a lot more hurdles you got to clear to apply in Montana and Wyoming. Yep. And the allocations aren't as generous as Colorado. Colorado is the most generous of all the states to non-residents by a long stretch. <clears throat> but I, if I lived in Colorado, I don't know how long I'd let that keep going. <laughs> I'm just being honest. I mean, yeah. you know, <clears throat> I, I'm not sure uh, how long it'll be there. And I, the reason I bring it up is I've heard some some rumbling some people would call them grumblings uh that that might there might be some ideas for change in colorado so well they've um, already approved the uh introduction of wolves there which we know that's going (laughs) no and it it really it it Mm -hmm. it has a major impact on hunting especially when they first you know get started and there's no uh, seasons there's no management there's no uh, anything to control the population of wolves and so for those first several years it's going to have an impact on the resource again and once that resource yeah. dwindles the first ones that are going to take the hit are those of us who are standing in line wanting to go hunting especially over the counter it's got the the resource when it when the resource just dwindles by one or two percent you know they can handle it without having to change a process but when it takes a major hit uh, like it can when predators are introduced it's uh it, it can be very substantial the changes to the process that can come out of that yeah so this person curtis we're we're Using your question as kind of a summary for this, you guys kind of do this in Idaho a little bit, Corey, if I understand, at least with your controlled hunts. You can't draw the same controlled hunt two years in a row, correct? Correct. Yeah, so, so you have to sit out a year saying, for, for species. It's not the same controlled hunt. It's yeah. the same species. So if you draw in a controlled yeah. elk tag, uh, say in 2021, you can't apply for or draw a controlled elk tag in 2022. You have to sit out a year. Yeah. So this person said, rather than these elaborate point schemes, maybe it'd be just easier to say, hey, you got to sit out a year. Um, And you can't apply for that at species again the next year. Uh, Another point he brings up, he calls it 
either commit or get. <laughs> and what he means, what he says, he says, no more buying points. Make everyone actually apply for a hunt. And if you don't draw, that's how you get your point. No more point buying. That'd be interesting. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if there's any states out there that have the commit or get uh, philosophy. No, um, I, I read that and I liked it because mm-hmm. it, it gets rid of the people who like, and I'm guilty of it, but I, there's a system mm-hmm. in place. I've got to play the game, you know, so I'm right, buying exactly. points. If I knew that I had a chance to apply for mm-hmm. a good unit in Arizona, it wouldn't matter so much, you know, what the season dates are at that point. But given the option, I have the option to choose what season dates I want to hunt. And if that option mm-hmm. was taken away from me, then yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to commit. Yeah. I'll add another thing that I think would help turn some of this stuff. If you acquire a tag in that state, no matter how, a raffle, an auction, a landowner voucher, it burns your points. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I think that, that because there's, there's so many places where some of these folks are acquiring tags through other mechanisms and but still building points still building points and i think nevada is on to something where if you draw any of your five choices there goes your points yep if you draw a leftover in nevada there go your points so there's things these states could do to increase what I call the churn rate, and I wish they would do them. I, 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 why not? I mean, it, <laughs> did you see the one person asked us if if there's a reason why you can't don't uh, transfer your points to a family member? I don't think I saw. Did that you see one. that email? Uh huh. Okay, there's an email, and and this pops up a lot, too. You know, Grandpa paid for all these points. He should be able to will them to his granddaughter, to his, you know, whoever. Well, that's not how it works. I don't know of any state that uh, allows for that. And if you take it to the next level of, well, what if that was allowed? People would be applying for points oh, with every, yeah. you'd be down at the nursing home, you know, hey, I'll, for an extra hundred bucks of, of Geritol, I'll, <laughs> I'll uh, put you, let, let me apply you for points in all these states. And you'd have, you know, every blue hair there, you'd be buying points for them. And uh, boy, if, that doesn't, tip if over, that doesn't increase the reality of the visual of a diaper in the sewer line, I don't know what will. <laughs> I got to be careful. My grandma on one side called herself a blue hair. And I, 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 I'm sorry if I offended anybody. With that. It's just, but my grandma called herself because of how white and she'd do something with her hair and almost get a purplish tinge to it. She's like, oh, I got blue hair today. And she would refer to all of her friends as us blue hair. So sorry. I'm going back to my corner. I'm, I'm in timeout. <laughs> but anyhow, I I throw some of these out there because I know people are thinking, well, that is so crazy. Newberg, no one would ever do that. Well, 
that when we have these point schemes, it causes people to start looking at how can I use that scheme, change it, alter it, or amend it to be more to my benefit or more to my favor. And once you start tilting that table a little bit, it seems like the table never stops tilting in the favor of old gray-haired guys like me. Yeah. I, I, I've never been to a, a legislative hearing that wanted to change the point schemes or the allocations. It was anything other than a bunch of old farts like me. You never see any young people there saying, you know, we should really manipulate this scheme so that all the old timers get tags. You know, it's just weird how that works. (laughs) So, hey, you're you're, look. Good thing I can't see your video because I know what you're thinking right now. Newberg, can you just get on to something that has to do with elk hunting? No, this all does, and I think this is the time of year that obviously legislatures are in session. Um, It's application season. I think it's it's a good time to bring up these these uh topics and and educate people on what goes on behind the scene it's not just you show up at the walmart on august 30th and buy your elk hunting license and your tag and and go hunting anywhere in the state you want to like it used to be things are changing they've changed and they're continuing to change and the direction that it's going is not always favorable and you know like becoming a member of the rocky mountain elk foundation that's important but so is becoming involved in these issues in your states you know washington has a has a proposal right now on bear hunting colorado has proposals on predator hunting you know all these things that if we as sportsmen are not involved in if we're not educated on it and then involved in it it's going to get taken away and it's going to change to the tune of taking away things that we value. And sometimes yeah. all it takes is, like you said, calling or sending an email. And if they get enough of it and realize, hey, there's a lot of sportsmen who are aware of this issue, they're passionate about this issue, and we don't want the, the backlash that's going to come if we pass this, they're usually pretty cognizant of, of the outcomes and the the repercussions of their actions there. And beyond that, <laughs> yeah. you've got voting opportunities coming up shortly that, you know, if somebody is introducing these yep. kinds of things, let your let your votes be heard and do your make your your changes at the ballot. Yeah. And you know, one of the things that's been fun to out of every dark storm comes a little bit of bright sunshine uh watching the wyoming or the washington bear thing the number of new grassroots activists in the hunting space who popped up is so impressive to me i'm going to be in in uh the seattle area doing a a trade show or a, a, a sports show this weekend and i'm so excited to talk to a lot of those washington hunters and say add a way to do it give them hell uh because they are changing it there they they are not giving up and actually some of the commissioners even resigned and they're hammering their governor replace with this kind of person this is the person who sees the bigger picture of wildlife so uh i'm i'm really pleased to see the activism the advocacy whatever you want to call it of just grassroots people in Washington state who said, I've had enough. I'm going to, you know, even if it's a little Facebook group or an Instagram group or you form a, you know, a, a, 
a group within your your town or your community, you're making a big difference. And we're seeing that as the pendulum now in Washington, the the agency uh, or the the commission, not the agency. The agency was against these changes in bear hunting from the start, but their commission appointed, you know, political appointing. Uh, so you're making a difference. Colorado, I'm seeing how people are really getting uh, active about these issues related to mostly cats. I think lion and bobcats. Yeah. Uh, same in Arizona. <clears throat> a bunch of the groups, as Arizona goes through these five-year season setting processes, and right now they're doing it related to mountain lions. And so the normal drive-by litigators uh you know, raised all kinds of stink. Oh, you're, you know, you're not using the right science, the right science, uh, as you're formulating this five-year plan on lions and bobcats. Well, fortunately, the Arizona Game and Fish folks said, "Hey, uh, we'd like to hear from the rest of you because these folks are flooding us with chain emails or whatever you want to call them, form letters." And wow. Out of the woodwork came a bunch of great Arizona groups and really rallied to the cause. And I, I know that they're getting a lot of emails from hunters now and comments. And so uh, as much as we get frustrated when this stuff happens, the, the point I'm trying to make there is that being frustrated is one thing, acting on it doing what i ex ex showed as as examples in washington and colorado and arizona that's how progress gets made that's what pushes it back so keep doing that folks makes me smile yeah, when absolutely. i see that so. <laughs> but anyhow what I think I've, I've <laughs> what, probably, what <laughs> well, I got some other topics written down here, Corey, but they're, they're heavy on the, the tangential side. And I really oh. like when we get into policy stuff, I really drive us in the ditch and I feel bad about that, but I don't feel bad because it's so important. It, these legislators, policymakers know that when we just stay in the arena, the box, the feet, the football field, if you can view science-based management as like this football field, and here are the boundaries, they like to grab the football and take it over and play in the sandlot or up in the stands or somewhere else because they know they can be way more effective in the political arena, in the public opinion arena. So just be aware that they're taking our football and going elsewhere to play with it. And we got to go tackle them. We we it, we, yep. we can't just say, "Hey, they stole our football." Bummer. No, we got to go there and get it back. <laughs> so I don't know if that's a good analogy, but it's uh, that's a good. It's one. it's what we got to do. And uh, so I, I appreciate all the listeners who do that, uh, and I appreciate anyone who's motivated to think about doing it. So. And uh, did you make the Wyoming deadline, I guess, is a question. That passed last week. Some people notified me. I did. Yep. I do, I, good. I was doing a live event last night, and we were talking about Arizona's deadline coming up, and one person types in, don't be like me. Even though Randy told me about the Wyoming deadline, I spaced it out. <laughs> I'm like, oh, bummer. But 
we hear it every year with every state and it's you know we're talking about arizona now and the deadline being february 8th and i guarantee on february 9th we'll get emails and messages saying don't i missed the deadline and you guys even told me yeah so oh well so uh destination elk youtube channel yeah people can watch it out on your youtube channel right we can on the Elk 101 YouTube channel. We uh, episode six uh, is currently out, and uh, for those who we get, we're getting quite a few comments about the schedule. In the past, we've done a video a day, uh, you know, for like thirty straight days. We actually have a schedule this year, so it's every Tuesday and every Thursday at six o'clock p.m. Mountain Time, uh, a new episode is released, and so we've got seventeen episodes plus two feature uh, episodes that will be the Alaska elk hunt and then our hunt with Outfitters for Hope, uh, where we took Jack on a hunt here in Idaho, and uh, Jack is legally blind. He had a brain tumor, a lot of health issues there, but one of the coolest young men I've ever had a chance to, to share an elk camp with or even get to talk with so we'll be doing a couple of uh really cool films on on those two hunts after the regular series is over which i think it gets over around the middle of march cool well i want to watch both of those so tuesdays and thursdays folks go there and watch it and um it'll be It'll be entertaining. I can I can assure them of that. And <clears throat> when someone other than me and Michael are out there, there's a good chance an elk might get called in and shot. But you know. <laughs> I knew you you had a strategy there. You wanted a little comic relief, so you said, "Hey, Randy and Michael, you guys want to be in here this year?" So. I'll tell you what, there's uh, there is definitely some comic relief in that. <laughs> uh, yeah, you should see the scars on my bottom side where I sat on that prickly pear. <clears throat> well, that's uh, coming up here in uh, episode seven or eight, I think. We even have a really cool image of uh, you pulling prickly pear out no. of the seat of your pants. Did I have my britches still up yeah. at that point? Uh, you did. You did. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's all PG. It's all safe for the kids right. to watch. Because so. uh, when it got really bad, I had to drop my drawers, and Dale took my Gerber center drive and was plucking and pulling. And man, the, e- <laughs> the elasticity of the human skin is pretty extreme. Like when one of those would pop out, you'd hear a snap as my skin would slap back into place. It's like, man, yeah, wow. it shows how, how little uh, muscle tone I have anymore when your skin is that flappy and loose, but it sure attracts a lot of prickly pears. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all oh, Michael's fault because yep. I said, you know, Michael, let's, let's find a shade tree. With no prickly pears around. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, he finds it, it was like a Charlie Brown Christmas tree version of a shade tree. I mean, Michael's not a little guy. And I'm like, well, you, this tree <laughs> is like a pool cue. It's, it, it's got one limb on it, and it's about as big around as a, you know, a pool cue. And we're going to get some shade out of this. So they say... Oh, there's, I think I see an elk out there. Well, I just dropped my pack, so 
I grab my binos and I'm shake, you know, I'm not very steady. So I'm like, well, I better sit down quick as I sit down. I know something's wrong. So, yeah, that's the moral of the story. Don't get excited when you're looking through your binoculars and sit down without first clearing the area underneath your buttocks. <laughs> that what Forrest Gump That's said. something we just don't even have to worry about in, in most of the areas that we hunt in mm. Idaho and Montana and yeah. Wyoming. You go to you go to New Mexico and Arizona and Nevada and southern Utah and mm-hmm. yeah, you better watch where you're sitting. In fact yeah. I think that's the name of the episode, watch where you sit in elk country or something. Oh no. <laughs> Why do I yeah. get a feeling I'm going to be the thumbnail of that video? You uh, are the poster child, the poster boy of <laughs> that episode, for sure. Uh, all right. Well, I deserve it. You know, that was stupid on my part. That's the second time while out hunting I've plopped down on a cactus, full on. I mean, like, plant right butt cheek, boom. You think I'd know better, but oh well. Does good. Michael does Michael have uh, access to your wife's best unknown nope. seasoning for grouse? Nope. Okay. Nobody I was gonna does. say if he Just... does, and I'd all I did is put a twelve pound rock in your pack. I did not mm. direct you to sit on cactus. So no, he right. Michael doesn't have that. Michael doesn't like fish. He loves to fish, but he doesn't like to eat them. I said, well, if you get the Randy Newberg walleye version of. of fish cooking you're gonna like them i don't know so i took him and marcus up to fort peck last summer caught a bunch of walleyes filleted them right there cooked them up in the campground with my my exclusive not shared seasoning and michael he was like a rat (laughs) on a cheeto man he was oh my gosh well you know it isn't necessarily the fish it might be the cook as to why you didn't like fish so oh well enough of that we we better let the folks go Corey, i don't know that we accomplished anything i had all these emails sorted for this podcast and only got to about two of them i'm sorry folks but please keep sending them can we can we tease some of the topics that we'll talk about next time sure you go right ahead okay Oh, I don't know them. You, you, you said you have them listed there. And well, I, I just thought maybe if you had a couple, we could let them know. So if they are thinking about canceling their subscription to this podcast, maybe there'll be something coming up that'll keep them, uh, keep them hanging on. Yeah. Well, uh, most of them, and I don't know what you're going to do about this, Corey, but a lot of them are asking about your non-weight-bearing workout program or whatever the heck you call them. That you generated the uh, more than half of the comments was because of your little three sentence blurb. So you get to handle that, not me, because my workout involves a cup of coffee and a donut. <laughs> I'm not sure if that qualifies for a workout. Well, while you're at the gym, that's what I'm doing. So, yeah. Yeah, we can. Uh, I'll, I'll prepare a little bit more, okay. and there's things in the works that uh, I might not be able to share all of it right now because I don't have it fully dialed in. But there are definitely some things I can share that are absolutely working. And yeah, you know, I'm 46. I'm not putting on muscle like I did 20 years ago. I'm not. You know, my my lung capacity and cardio is not 
what it once was. And so uh, I've had to shift a little bit in, in my workout and in my strategy, uh, but it's all focused on being prepared for elk season. And I'm, if elk season was right now today, I think I would be more prepared physically than I've probably ever wow. been. And I've still got six months left to go. So uh, I'm learning, learning more. And, and part of it comes from the injury I had uh, two years ago where I tore the calf muscle on the back of my leg and realized that there were weaknesses, not necessarily in my calf muscle or in my Achilles, but in my hip. Uh, which was causing some knee pain and just the uh, the entire structure of my muscle skeletal system was uh, was causing issues and that's where the weakness manifested was in my calf but in uh, going through rehab and physical therapy on that realizing my hamstring was mm-hmm. was weak as any hamstring could be and I was putting all of my force when I'm climbing a mountain in my ankles and my calves, which, you know, they, that's great until they, they get tired and wear out. And anyway, mm. we, yeah, we'll, we'll dive into that. You make me time. feel like such a slug. What, what did you have for lunch? Oh, <laughs> uh, Randy, you, you put yourself in, in these corners sometimes. I had uh, a salad with a can of chicken on top of it that was 18 grams of protein one gram of fat one gram of carbs it also had some uh, sweet peppers and some cheese and i had two cups of cottage cheese uh really focusing on on the protein consumption right wow that's you're making me look bad oh an avocado an avocado really? also. An avocado that, that yeah. finally makes it to the produce stand in Bozeman, Montana. Looks like a <laughs> buffalo chip. Is, isn't worth no. eating. <laughs> as, as my one friend, Kenny Obermeyer, used to say, you would need two of them, one to poop on and one to cover it up with. That's, that's how bad they are. You don't buy fruit in Bozeman, Montana. Trust me on that. You, you buy well, canned fruit. My wife... Uh, I gave my wife a hard time for a long time about her health food and organic this and all that, but she uh, she discovered a place called Trader Joe's, and it's yeah. as hippie and as hmm. organic as you can imagine. It's probably everything anti-hunting related, but with that being said, the produce there is top-notch, and it's not all that expensive. I get a, a bag of six bite-sized avocados for like a dollar 99 or 2.99 or something there's not a trader they joe's are. in montana what am i gonna have to do drive to boise really? to go to trader joe's well, by the time you get back to bozeman it would probably look like a buffalo chip again so. probably trader joe's bozeman or montana i'm gonna see where they have I'm, I'm doing this right now it comes up with monterey california uh, they, well, they, they're certainly not the closest one to you. No, we got we get, there's some in Idaho. That's it. No, we're we're, huh. we're out well, of luck. Trader Joe's is missing out. Is are all the yuppies and everything that live over in Bozeman and Missoula? You'd think they'd have Trader Joe's on every. Says corner. there's one in Boise and Meridian. So, yeah. and then there's a question. No, that says there are only state eight states do not have a Trader Joe's: Alaska, Arkansas, Hawaii, Mississippi, Montana, South Dakota, West Virginia, and Wyoming. So, 
Oh my goodness! <laughs> that is a select you know, group of states. When, when we, Arkansas, Mississippi. Yeah. <laughs> when when we got a Walmart in Bozeman, Montana, in like 1998, I said this place is going to hell in a handcart. And that was kind of, you know, that's when things, and then we got a Home Depot, and then we got a Lowe's, and then we got an Outback Steakhouse, and all this other, Olive Garden. And next, well, if we get a Trader Joe's here, I'm packing my stuff, and there's going to be a for sale sign out on my shack out there, and I'll be getting the hell out of here, Trader Joe's. Well, and I do have to drive two hours to ours, so it's not completely local, so we're still okay. That's why I don't do Starbucks. I got... We got a Starbucks you, you here. Things uh, went to hell when we got a Starbucks, dude. That was like the final nail in the coffin. <laughs> and you mentioned uh, a Helena hand card or something. I always said if I was going to start a business in Helena, Montana, it would be a handbasket business. <laughs> I mean, that's that is marketing. Like you can't I, never, I, I, I would own. I yeah. own Helena handbaskets. There you That's go. Just, I mean that. I, I'm surprised <laughs> if nobody has that. Uh, all right, they can any, do hand uh, carts too. If, hand if, carts and handbaskets. If anybody starts that business in Helena, Montana, you owe Corey Jacobson a royalty. Uh, Corey, you're late. You told me you had an appointment four, four minutes ago. I'm going to so, let you go. I've got basketball practice to get to. So, all yep. right. Thanks, Corey. Take hey. care, everyone. Yep. Thanks, guys.